I love that we're asking this question, what is church? Well, it says church, who are we? But I was thinking, what is church as I was coming up here? I love that we're asking that question today because this morning we've gathered in this place and we're singing and praising and lifting our hearts and worshiping God and we're trying to hear from Him and we're, we want to learn and, uh, and be together in a, in a sanctuary. Yesterday, this room was a Lego raceway. Right here in front of the platform was the, the raceway. Over there was face painting and, and crafts, hot dogs, lemonade, popcorn, cotton candy all over there, tables in the back for kids to make their Lego racers. It was an amazing, awesome event with people from the community and people from Calvary Church all mixing it up here in the room, racing Lego cars. Um, and there were a host of Calvary volunteers. Honestly, I think it took an army of volunteers to pull this event off, and it was so well done. It was so well done. So, yeah, you can, you can thank the volunteers. Hang on to that, because I'm actually going to ask you, I know there are a lot of you, uh, some of you might uh, not be here, and you may be at home, and we won't see you, but if you're in the room, and you volunteered in any capacity at all yesterday to help put on the LEGO 500, would you please stand don't be shy. Please stand. We want to thank you. We want to appreciate you. And trust me, it took more people even than the ones who are standing, but we thank you so much. And uh, just so you know, your efforts were, were so effective. My grandchildren loved, loved the event. And on the way home, they said, we can't wait for Lego 600. <laughs> um, so well done. Very well done. The last few weeks, we've been using the same word to start off our time, my time with you up here together. It's the word devoted. We've been looking at the first group of followers of Christ who gathered together after Jesus rose from the dead. And each week, what they were devoted to, they were devoted to teaching, they were devoted to the fellowship, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, and they were, today we're going to see, devoted to prayer. So I thought this would be a good time to stop and ask yourself, what am I devoted to? Before we go any further this morning, put that question in your mind. What am I devoted to? It's a good day to ask it since it's Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you might, the honest answer might be you're devoted to sports or a sports team. What are you committed to? What are you loyal to? What do you give your mind and your heart and your thoughts to? It might be your job. It might be family. It might be a spouse. It might be a person. You might be devoted to a cause or a hobby or some kind of entertainment or some uh, activity that you're involved in. What is it you're really devoted to? If you're a Christian, I hope you're thinking I'm devoted to church and I'm, I'm, I'm devoted to Christ amongst the other thoughts you're having. How do you know what you're devoted to? How do you know? One of the ways to test that is to ask yourself, where does my mind go when I'm not really engaged in a task? When I have um, discretionary time to think or dream, or where does your... What activity do you look forward to? What are you thinking about? Oh, I get to do this this week. I can't wait to do that or engage in that or be with this person. What are you devoted to? Last fall, when we were in the book of Colossians, we came across this phrase, be devoted to prayer. And we were challenged to ask ourselves, are we devoted to prayer or do we just pray? And on that Sunday, so many of you responded so well. Uh, about being devoted to prayer and the importance of prayer. We're going to see it again. I'm going to read the passage, the same passage we've read every Sunday for the last few weeks. Acts chapter 2, 
verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I said, every week I'm going to try to point out where the awe comes from. The simple answer this week is, awe comes from answered prayer, doesn't it? Have you prayed something ever and had God answer it and go, wow, God answered that prayer. And you connect the dots between your prayer and God's response. It's awe-inspiring. Or heard someone else who said, I was asking God and asking God, look how he answered it. And you hear someone else's story and you get a sense of awe in your heart. And the more we share those stories with each other about how our great God answers our prayer and is there for us, the more awe-inspired we are. Colossians 4.2, by the way, was the verse where we read this before. Um, I hope this sounds familiar. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We spent a Sunday on that, as I said, back in the fall. And you might think, oh, we already heard this. I have to hear this again today. If you're like me, I have to hear things more than once. Sometimes it takes me one or two or three or four times for God saying something before it finally gets through. And I said four times because this just happened to me. Over the last two or three weeks, God has said the same thing to me from various sources four times. Through a devotional, through a scripture I was reading, through a message I was listening to, through words from a trusted friend, God has said to me two words, trust and obey. Trust and obey. It's like he's saying, Rich, I want you to think about these two words, trust and obey. And he told me four times because it took till the fourth time where I started thinking, God, why are you telling me this? And I, uh, it didn't come with a conviction of the Spirit like correction. Sometimes God does that. He would say something like, Rich, you're not trusting me. Or in this area, you're not obeying me. I didn't have that sense. It was more like this. God has been saying to me, Rich, trust and obey for what's coming next. And the trust in that is, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what 2024 holds. But I want to trust God for whatever it is, whatever comes. And I want to have the kind of heart that's willing to obey him. In my journal, I wrote down what's coming in 2024 that I'm going to need a greater level of trust and obedience. But not with fear, not like, oh no, what's going to happen? It was more like my God said to me, trust and obey, and that's what I want to do. So if you, if you take home nothing else from this morning, and it's just those two words, maybe you came here or you signed on from home just to hear those two words, it would be enough. God says, trust him and obey him. And that's really what we do in prayer, too. When we come to him in prayer, we're trusting. We're believing that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. And we're willing to obey when he answers our prayer because sometimes he doesn't answer prayer the way I want him to. He answers prayer the way he wants to answer it. And I've got to be willing to obey and follow how he answers. So when I was thinking about prayer this morning, to get ready for this morning and praying about it, I was thinking there are so many ways you can go to teach about prayer. God, what do I teach about prayer? How prayer works? How it doesn't work when I, I'm not engaged in it properly? When I do it? When I don't do it? How to pray? 
Why pray? I, what, what direction do I go in this? And as I was praying about it, four stories came into my mind, I believe from the Holy Spirit. Four stories. Two of them actual stories that happened, and two of them Jesus told. And so I'm going to just share those four stories with you this morning. And I'm going to make some simple comments after I tell the story and read some of the scripture. And I am fully trusting that something in one of these stories will speak to you today. That there's something in one of these stories that you came here to hear or you signed on from home to hear. And the Holy Spirit has prepared it for you. So my prayer is that you will open your ears and heart and say, God, in fact, let's just say that right now. Lord, whatever you have to say to me this morning, help me to hear it. Help me to hear it on prayer. Amen. So the first story is about Moses. First, first one that popped into my mind was Moses having an interaction with God where God changed his mind based on the conversation with Moses. And it's a, it's a, a lesson in there for us on prayer. It's from Exodus chapter 32. I'll give you a little of the context before I show you the first verse I want you to see. Moses is up on, on the mountain with God. And down, he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And down below, Aaron, who's in charge, and the people have melted all their gold jewelry and created this golden calf that they decided to worship instead of God because Moses was gone so long, they figured he just died up there and he's never coming back. So we better create our own God to worship. Moses is up on the mountain. God knows what's going on down below, and he's angry. And he says to Moses, these stiff-necked people, this is where I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Exodus 32, verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God says to Moses, go, go your way. You and I are done here now. I'm going to destroy those stiff-necked people. And instead of leaving, Moses stops to talk to God. This is what prayer is, it's talking to God. Moses says, verse uh, 11 through 12, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. He said, Lord, um, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. What Moses is doing right here is interceding for the people. He's stepping in between. He's saying, God, I understand you're angry. Believe me, I get it. But please, God, don't destroy your people for the sake of your glory and your reputation. Have mercy on them. Moses intercedes for the people. And here's God's response, verse 14. Then the Lord relented. He changed his mind. The Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster. Oops. The disaster he had threatened. The Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, many people have studied this passage and said one of two things. Moses changed God's mind. Isn't that amazing? Moses, by his intercession. Moses, by his prayer. Moses, by him boldly speaking up. That was pretty bold, don't you think? That he would say to God, God, I don't think you should do what you're planning to do. I don't ever assume to at least, I hope not, to tell God what to do or how to do it. He's God, I'm not. But Moses stepped in that gap on behalf of the people. Another school of thought is this. God is omniscient. 
meaning all-knowing. God knows everything. God knew that was going to be the outcome of that conversation before it started. So did Moses really change his mind, or did God kind of know he was heading in that direction right from the start? That could make your head spin, can't it? And I do that sometimes in prayer myself. I say, well, does my prayer matter? Doesn't God know? He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows what is going to happen, and God's going to do what God's going to do no matter what I do or don't do. And I can use that argument to talk myself out of prayer, to say, well, prayer doesn't really matter because God's all-knowing. God's all-powerful. God's got it all figured out no matter what I say or pray. I'll just say this. I am taking at face value what I believe the Bible says about prayer. It matters. The Bible tells me to pray. It says, ask God. Seek him. Ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Come into his throne room with confidence and receive mercy. Jesus says, come to me. Ask me. I have to conclude that prayer matters, even if I don't always understand it or know what the outcome is. Um, I'm going to have Heidi come up here, my wife, for a moment, um, and share with you a couple thoughts about why prayer matters in her life. So uh, some of you have met Heidi. Some of you may have not. And I thought I would take the opportunity to have her come up here so I could say, this is my wife, Heidi. <laughs> um, Heidi's a great prayer. She's, um, uh, I, won't, I won't say anymore. I asked Heidi to, <laughs> to share a thought about why prayer matters. He told me he was going to, before this, it was going to be about Moses and God, cha- Moses changing God's mind. And I was like, whoa, when I got to follow that? <laughs> but... Um, as we led it into our time of worship this morning with Elizabeth playing the solo on the saxophone. And I don't know if all of you knew the song she was playing, but it was, God, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you and how you love me. It was the Holy Spirit I felt just came over us, came over me, and I was amazed of the great love of the Lord for us. And that is the beauty of God and how he longs for relationship with us and he wants us to enter in to communication with him. And that's what prayer is. It's communicating with the God of all creation. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And then I look at it and I said, it's the craziest, craziest, craziest thing ever that I can talk to God and he hears me. Like, how does that work? And how does it work that even all of us just in this room can all talk to God at the same time and he hears us? And then you multiply that upon millions of people all praying at the same time and God hears us individually. That's God. He's bigger and more amazing than our understanding. We can't comprehend how great God is. Okay. You were going to oh, share a story. Okay, there about... we go. I'm going to share a story. Okay. So I just want to say, and I want to put this down to some very basics because I'm standing here because of the prayers of people in my life. You're here, most likely, due to the prayers of people that have been in your life. I can go back to my great grandparents who first became followers of Christ in Sweden to my grandparents who have prayed for me, to my parents who have prayed for me. But I want to focus in on two people that have prayed for me 
most of my life until they passed away and went into the throne room of heaven. And that is a Sunday school teacher who I had, whose name was Esther Lindbergh. And Esther Lindbergh was a single female, no children, but she was a Sunday school teacher. And she loved me, and she prayed for me from the day I was born. She went to the church that my family attended. And Esther, from six years old, when I was in her Sunday school class, started telling me, I pray for you every day, Heidi. If there's ever a need, if there's anything that you want me to pray for, you just tell me. And I believe I stand here today partially due to the prayers of Esther, who prayed from my heart to be surrendered to Jesus and to walk in the ways of the Lord all the days of my life. And there was another person, Eleanor, who was my kindergarten Sunday school teacher, and I had no idea she prayed for me every day. Or she didn't pray for she prayed for me once a week. And when I was in college, I came home on a Sunday, and Eleanor said to me, Heidi, if there's anything we can ever pray for you, her and her husband, Ron, she said, you let me know because you're on our prayer list every Tuesday. And we pray for you every Tuesday. As a college student, that blew me away. And I thought, wow. Wow, what's the impact of their prayer? And we all have that same, same opportunity within this body of believers to pray for one, to pray for one child, and it will make a difference. And maybe down the road, that one child will be on some church platform or will be in some coffee shop sharing Jesus with somebody because of your prayers because prayer matters. Thank you. (laughs) So I asked Heidi to share that because I've heard that story many, many years ago and and several times, and it always, it's so impactful to me that these two women, when Heidi was a little girl, for whatever reason, decided they were going to pray for her throughout her life until the day they died. Um, They never saw Heidi at this point or all the fruit, kingdom fruit, her life, has borne over the years. But by faith, just by faith, they consistently prayed for her. And, and I believe also for me, they didn't know who I was. I didn't come into the picture till later. But when they prayed for Heidi, they prayed for her future spouse and our marriage and our ministry together. And just, so I know they prayed for me. And I wanted her to share that story so you could hear it from her and maybe be inspired to pray for someone. If God puts someone on your mind, Heidi said a child, someone you know, so just put it in your calendar. Or make it a regular thing. I'm going to pray for this person and do it, believing that prayer matters and trusting that God is going to hear your prayer and do something great in the life of the person you're praying for. Okay, next story. Um, I'm just going to tell it to you really quickly because it covers two chapters in uh, the book of First Samuel, First and Second Samuel. And it's the story of Hannah. Hannah was a married woman who wanted to have a baby. But even though she tried and prayed and waited, she could not become pregnant. And she prayed and prayed and she prayed to God, God, if you would bless my womb with a child, I will give him back to you. That was her prayer. Which we might think means I will, uh, I'll do my best to raise him to love you. I'll dedicate him to you. I'll honor you throughout his life. But this is what she did. When she became pregnant and the child was born, she raised him until he was weaned 
And then she actually brought him to the temple and actually literally gave him to God. The child she prayed for for so many years, she gave back. She brought him to the temple and she let him be raised by the priest and live in the temple. She probably visited him, but she didn't have him in her home anymore. And this little boy, Samuel, became the great Old Testament prophet, Samuel, who did so many amazing things for the kingdom of God in his day. And my simple uh, take-home from that today and this week, as I thought of Hannah's story, is I have to hold very loosely to the answers of prayer. Sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes when I pray, I find myself telling God how to answer Sometimes when I pray, I'm saying, this is what I want it to look like, God. I would like you to do this in my life. I would like you to fix this problem, answer this prayer this way, provide this path so it looks like this. Believe me, I never say it that blatantly, that clearly. But that's what's going on in my mind and in my heart when I'm praying. And what I learned from Hannah's story is when I pray, I have to hold God's answer very loosely. I have to let him answer it the way he chooses to answer. And then when he does, I still can't grab onto it tightly. I still have to give his answer to prayer back to him, like Hannah did. All right, two stories from Jesus. Uh, These are not actual occurrences. These are stories Jesus told to help us learn about prayer. I'm going to read them both through because they both make the very same point. The first one is in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. Jesus said to them, he's teaching on prayer now, Jesus said to them, which of you has a fr- which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me, the door is now shut and my children are in are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus is saying here, the friend goes to his friend's house. He knocks on the door. Loan me some bread. Loan me some bread. The friend says, go away, go away. But the man won't stop knocking. So because of it, he says, I guess I'm going to have to get up and go down and give him bread. And he gives him bread. Hold that thought. That can be a confusing lesson on prayer. The next one, Luke 18, 1 through 5. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat down, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So in this story, there's a judge who's not a very righteous man. He doesn't really care about the poor. He doesn't really care about justice. But this woman keeps coming to him, coming to him, coming to him. She finally wears him out, and he says, "I better give her an answer so she leaves me alone." Now, we have to be careful with these two stories. In the first story, Jesus is comparing God to the friend who doesn't want to get out of bed and help his friend. And in the second story, Jesus is comparing God to a judge who doesn't care about the poor and and he's he's not uh, concerned about justice. We need to be careful about that. 
Because Jesus is not saying that's what God is like. In fact, he's saying the opposite. He's saying this. Even if a lazy friend who doesn't want to get out of bed and help you, even if he will rise and help you, how much more will God, who's not a lazy friend, who's willing to get out of bed and come answer you, how much more will he do it? And um, even if a wicked judge who's unjust and doesn't care about the poor, even if he will rise up and do something in response to the woman's request, wouldn't our good God, who's not evil and cares about the poor and loves justice, wouldn't he be quick to respond? And in fact, the main point of both of these is not those characters, it's the other characters. In the first story, the main point Jesus is making is about the friend who wants the bread. He goes to the door, he knocks, he asks for bread. He doesn't get it the first time he asks, so he knocks and he asks again. The widow, she comes to the judge and she asks for justice. She doesn't get it, so she asks again. Let's boil it down. Let's make it really simple. What's Jesus teaching here? Ask more than once. Don't quit. Don't give up. Sometimes God takes longer to answer prayer than I want him to. Sometimes there's a waiting period. Sometimes I ask this prayer, but the answer's down the road there. And I don't like to wait down the road. Do you know why? I live in a world that has conditioned me for instant answers. I can have hot water out of my microwave in 60 seconds. I can have a package delivered to my doorstep tomorrow morning. I can turn on the remote and instantly watch something on television. I can text a friend and get an immediate answer. I can say, hey, Google, and find out anything I want to know within seconds. So I ask God something, I want an answer now. Oh, of course, I would never say it like that. But I'm conditioned to think that way. And the answer doesn't always come right now. And sometimes there's good reason for it. Sometimes the answer to your prayer depends on the moving and, and shaping of other circumstances. Sometimes God is working the timing of something because to answer your prayer right now is not going to be as good as answering your prayer here. And God works all things together for our good, even the timing of the answer to prayer, if it takes longer than we want it to. Sometimes I need the waiting. Sometimes God makes me wait so I will self-examine why I'm asking in the first place. So I will think through what is this prayer really about. So I will trust him when he doesn't come through right away. Here's what I think about prayer. Prayer might not change God, but prayer changes me. As I seek him, it changes my heart. It affects my mind. God shapes me as I wait, even though I don't always like to wait. Here's also the truth about me. Sometimes I get tired of asking. Have you ever done that? You've come to God with a request. You've come to God with a prayer. You've asked him once. You've asked him twice. You've asked him three times. You've asked him for a year. You've asked him for a couple of years. And you subtly get to this point in your mind where you think God's just not going to answer this prayer. So I'm going to stop asking. I've done that. I have someone in my life I have prayed for for years. And see, only glimpses occasionally of something that looks like an answer to that prayer. And sometimes it makes me want to stop because I'm thinking it's not making any difference. But then I self-correct and I say, wait a minute, I believe it does make a difference. I prayed for my dad. I became a believer at 18 years old. And um, I tried to share the gospel with my dad. I did it badly. Um, I pushed him away. 
And I, I realized, even as a young man, a new Christian, that I had to just start praying for my dad. So I started praying, started praying, God, please help him understand this. And uh, prayed that for years, for years, about 12 or 13 years, I think. Um, and I don't remember the exact time frame. Praying for my dad's heart to open up to Jesus. And uh, there were a lot of times during those years I forgot to pray or I stopped praying or I thought, this is never going to happen. But in the last months of his life, in a hospital bed, my dad prayed to receive Jesus. And I thought, I didn't do it by my prayer, but somehow my prayer matters. And God says, don't quit. Don't give up hope, ever. Because your God will answer you. He will. He does not leave a single prayer unanswered. He sometimes answers ways we don't want him to, or the way we would do it, or he takes too long, in our view. But he always answers, do not quit praying. Do not give up. And we get to a point where we run out of gas sometimes. So back in the fall, when I read that passage from Colossians, I called us to prayer. Remember, I said, we need to be devoted to prayer here. We pray. But what does it mean to be devoted? And you responded so well. And we added prayer. We added a Thursday night prayer. More people are coming to the round room in the corner over here on Sunday mornings before service. We're praying more during the service. We're praying more at meetings. But right about now, several months later, let's be honest, this is where we start to run out of steam a little bit. We go, yeah, we prayed back in the fall when Rich asked us to. But fewer people are showing up now, and we're paying a little bit less attention to prayer. So maybe as a community, we need to hear more than once, like Rich does as an individual, for God to say, hey, be devoted to prayer. Be committed to it. Love it. Be loyal to it. Make it a priority. Make it important. Maybe this is just a little shot in the arm for us to say, yes, at this point, at this juncture in our journey as a community here at Calvary, prayer matters. And we've got to be committed to continuing in prayer and seeking the Lord for all that he has for us. So just really quickly, you might be sitting here in the room or at home going, well, I don't really know how to pray. How do, how do I pray? Maybe you're new to it, or maybe you haven't practiced it, or you always say, I don't think I pray right. How do I pray? I'm going to give you three really quick answers. Um, maybe two. Um, if you don't know what to pray, pray scripture. Someone said that to me a long time ago. Just pray scripture. Open a psalm. Psalm 23, one of the most famous, well-known psalms. You can turn that into a prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Turn that into a prayer. Lord, you are my shepherd. You provide for me like a shepherd does. Here's, here's something I, I need to bring to you. Lord, you are the one who quiets my soul. You lie, uh, lie me down in green pastures. You rest me. You provide the clear, cool waters for me to drink. Lord, here's what I need from you today. Here's what I want to bring to you today. Restore my soul. And God, right now I'm walking through a valley. It feels like the shadow of death. But I thank you that you're with me. See how you could turn a prayer into scripture? A scripture into prayer? I guess you could do it both ways. If you don't know what to pray, grab a psalm and pray the psalm. Or if you don't know what to pray, you don't know what to say, just sit quietly before the Lord. Like we did at the beginning of the service here. Turn on a little bit of music if it helps you not be distracted. And just sit quietly before the Lord. When I was thinking about this week, this, this week I was remembering an interview years ago uh, with Dan Rather and Mother Teresa. You may have heard this, been a, a 
many years since it happened. Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, um, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, I don't say anything, I just listen. And he said, oh, okay, well then what does God say? And she said, he doesn't say anything, he just listens too. <laughs> and then she said, and if you don't understand that, I, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> There's something powerful about sitting in the presence of the Lord. You don't have to say anything. Just sit with him and let him speak to your mind and heart. Invite him to sit with you and feel his presence. And know this from Romans 8, 26 and 27, if you don't know how to pray. It says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us when we're weak and we don't know. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here's the beautiful truth of that passage. You don't have to know how to pray. It doesn't always matter that you get the words right, that you say the right things. What matters is that you are seeking God and placing your heart in His hands. And the Holy Spirit in you will bring your request to God. The Holy Spirit, who knows what's in your heart and knows the mind of God, will bridge that gap, will intercede, and bring that prayer to God, even in words you can't understand. He just communicates for you. So know that even if you don't know how to pray, just sitting in the presence of the Lord and bringing your heart to Him, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. And here's what I have found happen. When I'm in that spot where something's so heavy or so confusing or so hard, and I don't know how to pray, sometimes I sit before the Lord, and here's how I start. God, I don't know how to pray. I've been a follower of Christ for 40 plus years. And I still sometimes hit that point where I sit before the Lord and I say, God, I don't know how to pray about this. I don't know what to say. I don't even know what to ask you. I don't even know how to envision a right outcome for this. So Lord, I'm just going to sit with you now. Help me. And an amazing thing happens if I sit in that place, quietly before the Lord. Prayers start to come into my mind. Oh, here's something God, I, I could bring to you on it. Here's, here's where my heart really is, because the Holy Spirit starts to help me. But I've got to give him that time and that quietness to sit in that spot. Last story on prayer. Um, and there are plenty of others. But these are the ones I believe uh, were selected for today by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus now. On the night he was betrayed, in between his last dinner with his followers, and getting arrested. He goes out to the garden to pray. And uh, you're familiar with the, the account. He's praying in great anguish. He knows what's coming. He's praying in such anguish that he's sweating drops of blood. He's pouring himself out on the Father. Imagine being in that spot where you know that when you get up off your knees from praying, there's going to be an armed guard waiting to arrest you. And what awaits you is severe beating within an inch of your life and blood and pain everywhere. You know that's coming next. And then after that, you're going to be completely falsely accused, arrested, and nailed to a cross to die there. Jesus knows this is all coming. And on top of that, he also knows that he is going to become sin. Him who knew no sin, who never once violated his relationship with the Father is now going to be holding all, all the sin. That had to be breaking, breaking his heart. And he, 
You can see it in his prayer. He poured himself out. Now, maybe you've never been facing beatings and persecution, but you can kind of relate to that prayer, I think. You've been in a spot where you've just said, God, this situation is terrible. I can't believe what's coming. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Where you've just poured yourself out in anguish before the Lord. Here's how Jesus concludes that prayer. Matthew 26, 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Can you imagine what Jesus is saying here? If there's any other way than going through what I know is coming, let's go the other way. But not my will, yours. But not as I will, yours be done. There are a couple of ways I use that phrase, not my will, but yours be done, when I'm praying. And one of them, honestly, is a cop-out. I find myself praying this big, bold prayer, and then I'm afraid God's not going to answer it, and I'm going to look foolish, so I'll just tack on, if it's your will, Lord. Which takes all the power out of that prayer. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, this road that's ahead of me is going to be the hardest road I've ever walked, and if there were any other way, I'd walk it. But I'm willing to trust you and obey you and follow you. Not my will, but yours be done. Because sometimes God's answer to your prayer is not the way you would have wanted it to go. But you have to have faith and trust and know that God's way is the better way. That God's at work for your good. And if he gives you an answer that's contrary to one you were expecting, rejoice, be glad. Because the Lord your God who loves you and cares for you gave you a better answer, even if you don't recognize it yet. Now, I wanted us not to just talk about prayer. I wanted us to actually pray more today. So I'm going to call the worship team back up here, and I'm going to call David Lemire, our head elder, up here. I've asked David in his role as head elder, um, as a man with a gentle spirit and a great faith and a lot of experience in the kingdom of God, to pray over us as a community, to pray over us as a church, to pray for us and to pray God's blessing over us. Uh, David's going to lead us in prayer, and then the worship team will close us in a final song.